Good morning, good afternoon, happy Saturday, happy Sunday, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Whatever, Friday night. Friday night, two seconds after we post. I don't care how you do it. As long as you're doing it. We're here to welcome you. Episode five of the Bad Signal Podcast. As always, I'm Courtney. He's Will. We're going to get right into this. Let's do it. Antonio Brown is back. Gross. I am so passionate about this man because of the volatility that he had in the locker room with the Patriots on such short notice. Watching him indulge in his ego, threaten people online, in person, make big ordeals. I mean, when you feed the beast on on social media, you become a menace to society. And that's exactly what Antonio Brown is. He is a head case disaster. He's walking CTE. The beginning and the end of Antonio Brown's career as a Pittsburgh Steelers, which he was great. Mike Tomlin reeled him in. I mean, those were the best years of his life. I was actually looking at his stats. He had, I think, five years in a row, over 100 receptions, over 1,000 receiving yards. I think he was doing like 1,100 receiving yards. He was... One year up to like 1,600. Oh, unstoppable. The beginning and the end of Antonio Brown's career is when Vontez Perfect... Decapitated. Came, de- came at him, and I mean, I mean, his head twisted, full blown. <sighs> and the pro, the protocol measures weren't in play then either. Uh, he was back. Is he back the next week? I don't. I have play? no idea. But if you Google that hit, if you haven't seen it already, that was the beginning of the end of his. Uh, just, I mean, nonsense, nonsensical talk, nonsensical speak. Blonde uh, mustache. A personality. Yeah, personality it, changes. Uh, it's hard to watch. No, okay. So again, the Raiders and John Gruden traded for him. And what did he do? He didn't play a game. He ran around and it made a muck. Do you remember the helmet thing? On national television. Yes, exactly. Walking around and protesting about a helmet that would have like helped your safety precautions. And he, then he was walking around on social media trying wearing to find, his old helmet. Yeah, and he was trying to find another, like uh, the one helmet that he did like. I, it, I mean, well, that's beyond the point. What did he do? He disappointed. Yeah. So then he was released by the Raiders. He posted on social media of him running outside and boom, the shit storm happened. He was brought on to the New England Patriots. Now again, the Patriots have brought in some very... Low character men in the past, Aaron Hernandez being one of them. Yeah, he murdered people. Yeah, exactly. So the Patriots took a chance on him because he was talented. It was shades of Randy Moss and Tom Brady needed a wide receiver that had jets that actually had, you know, some wits about him on on a playbook. Antonio Brown disappointed the Patriots in a way that was much worse than any of the other franchises that he went to because it happened under their watch. That never happens. If Aaron Hernandez is going to do his business, he's going to do his business, you know, and outside of the facility. Antonio Brown disappointed Robert Kraft, went after Robert Kraft, after the fact, then apologized. I mean, why the hell do you want this dude on your team? I, I don't, I, I just, I, I have a point where Antonio Brown goes and he's signed by the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it's a done deal. Not eligible till week eight. I, I, don't, I just don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't care because I don't want to see this guy running around on social media. I don't care that Pete Carroll is the juice. He's pining for him, clearly. Oh, yeah, two other teams are interested? Well, congratulations because automatically now that... 
Oh, they don't exist. Yeah. Just like Tom Brady did when he was going in free agency. Now that Antonio Brown is signing with the team and the Seattle Seahawks, I respect you so much less than I did before. They are going to get burned once again. Who wants to watch a man who doesn't want to play football? I'm sorry if all of this went down and he had this entire situation with New England Patriots and he kept his mouth shut. And they didn't have all of those allegations against him. He didn't fuel the fire. He wasn't feeding fire with gasoline. He would be back on a football team. This man does not care about the game of football anymore because if he was, he'd be playing last year. So when anyone says that Antonio Brown, he's going to be changed and life-changing and he still has more on a, on a lesser salary and he can play and keep it together, I'm calling complete BS. He's also 32. I, I, a lot of players re- retire at the age of 32. That's getting up there for a wide receiver. Uh, for, for a skill position guy, that's getting up there. Just, if he doesn't have that 4-4 four, four speed, then, I mean, it, does, it, it like you were saying, it's all moot at the end because there's only one way that this can really go. And that's... It's, it's downhill. Bad. In a, in a garbage can. But, I mean, I'll play devil's advocate here for a little bit. Couldn't you argue that because... Pete Carroll has that almost irrational confidence in himself that that maybe it might be able to work. Maybe that'll rub off on on Antonio. I for five minutes if they're winning and then if they're losing, what's going to happen? He's going to start acting up again. And listen, you're not going to the Tiger's not going to change his. So you spots don't think at he's humbled point. at all? No, I don't think he's humbled at all. And I think I think he's just a disaster. And it's it's so disheartening that when this man. Earlier in the year, and I said this on, you know, the old radio station on an old evening drive show that I used to be on, and people were laughing and encouraging him when he was going through, I mean, they had to write, they had to read him the Baker Act. The Baker Act is for someone who is acting irrationally in the state of Florida, and and you can be taken in, you know, for, for reasons of mental illness, for like being crazy, and... Uh, people were egging him on, and I just I find that well, social media loves a good oh, fire. But, uh, you know they what? They love though? a good fire. That's what or a car crash. That's I mean. what's really sad about our society. Yeah. Will is that that man is sick. He has mental health problems. He is ill, and people laugh at him and they encourage it. And it's he needs to get help more than be on a football. I field I think he right mistakes now. the laughing at him with laughing with him. In a lot of cases, oh, like you said, I'm the sure. man the man's mentally ill. It's tough. It's tough to watch. It's tough to see. But I mean, if I'm intrigued to see how this goes, I'm not. Gives me more reason to not watch the Seahawks at any game. And if he goes to the Buccaneers, then congratulations as well. Getting to the Raiders. Speaking of the devil, the our, COVID update. Yeah, they got cooties. It's our weekly COVID update. A weekly COVID update. So Trent Brown, man. Do I have to say it again? Bill Belichick is always right when he releases a player. The only time that he wasn't was with Chandler Jones. And that was the one that got away. You could say Lawyer Malloy. He did pretty well with the Bills. But, I mean, he tailed off. Trent Brown. He's played 30 snaps since he signed a $30 million contract. Is that a lot of money? People in Las Vegas apparently are not happy with this guy. And now he has the entire offensive line in quarantine. And not only that, well, the worst part about this situation as the league is going through their protocols, and by the way, as the Titans punishment went down, I'm really glad that the league is not coming down 
incredibly hard on teams because again, we it's shouldn't hard. we shouldn't be blaming people for getting COVID. If it's, it's going to happen, there's a there's a pandemic, there's a virus that's going around. Trent Brown has not, has been spotted hanging out with all of the offensive linemen, no mask, in close proximity, without his monitoring device. So not only do they have skewed uh, skewed information about who he was walking around with or who he was in close contact with, they can't do contact tracing. Yeah. They're, they're screwed. Yeah. I mean, they're it's screwed. A tough, it's a tough situation. And, and it makes you wonder how many players aren't following the protocol. I, you know, listen, and I talked to, I talked to a friend of mine, uh, Jamar Taylor. He's on the 49ers in the secondary. Hey, you know, they're coming to Foxborough. Maybe I should say hi to my buddy. I asked him, well, are you worried about COVID this season? He said, the only thing that I'm worried about is when you get into those December months, the first week, the second week, that like final four block, you're in the fourth quarter of, of the NFL yeah, season, sure. and you really have teams that are separating themselves and getting draft, draft pick status. And you have some kid who is a rookie second-year guy looking at his bank account and seeing that he has $6 million in his account. Mind you, NFL players, they all have to pay taxes after the season. They literally get all of this money all up at once, and then they have to pay taxes for every game in every state that they play. So it, that's why players go broke, because they, you know, they don't understand that a third of their money is going to the government. Basic financing. Yeah, basic financing. They don't learn it. They don't get it. Th that kid, you know, that's sick of his team. They know they're losing. He's down. Why the, why the hell not? Is he he's not going to go to, you know... Magic, South Beach. Magic City. Yeah, Tootsie's just open. He's going to go to the strip club. He's going to go party with his kids. And then he's going to bring COVID to the entire franchise. I, I'm not We've saying seen that, it happen. I'm not saying that that's happening right here, but uh, the Raiders, their season, at least their game, sorry, their game right now is is up in, in question. And guess what? They're playing the Tampa Bay Bucks. So if, if there's any team that can give them cooties. It's got to be the Tampa. You Bay got to be the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay Bucks. It almost guarantees the Bucks another primetime game though. If, it, if this gets, they swapped, the they swapped them out of primetime. Oh, they did. They swapped them out of primetime because they, because the game is wait. In so question, they so they moved. They the, moved. They swapped the, the Seahawks game. Slot? They swapped the Seahawks game to yeah to the four o'clock slot because oh my god, could you imagine? the marketing and PR disaster that would happen if we had no Sunday night football. Oh my God. It would be, I mean that. What that would Al Michaels happen. do on Sunday night? I don't know. I don't know what Chris Collinsworth would do without his Tootsie slide. That slide baby. The Patriots offense, man. Talk about sliding. <laughs> um, Mud slide. I, I don't really even think I just Tuesday show was such a blur. Cause I wanted to rip your head off. Yeah. I we're past. That. I wanted to kill we're you past that. Um, yeah, we're past that. Now we're mature and I'm giving you the mic back on, uh, on my show. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> the Patriots. Yeah, it was a bad game. The, the last time, and I got this, I got this stat from someone on Twitter. The last time that the Patriots committed that many turnovers and sacks and fumbles was a game in 2008 when Matt Castle was filling in for Tom Brady. That is 12 years since the Patriots have played that poorly. Wow. Makes you appreciate Tom Brady a little more. It was a couple years before that he had even made a mistake in that sense, it, to that caliber. You're, we're not going to see that kind of performance from the Patriots. It just doesn't happen. And you know what, Bill Belichick? You're going to get your wish. You're going to get your practice time, and we're going to chalk it up and flush that down. Now, if the New England Patriots put on 
just lay an egg on Sunday against Jimmy Garoppolo, who I clearly they got plenty of tape on. I don't him. have them winning that game, but I way. who the Patriots. Yeah, they're Vegas has them by two. I don't have them. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I would take win. the 49ers to be honest, um, because I said this on Tuesday. I don't think the Patriots are going to be under 500. I think they're going to be way under 500. And when you're talking about that in the sense that if this offense can't get things together, and it, again, it has nothing to do with Cam Newton. He's doing everything that he possibly can with the tools that he can, but the receiving core is just, oh, God. You, can't, you cannot win games and move the chains with Demir Bird as your number yeah. one target. Yeah, not just that, but weapons at tight end – too like oh, they don't have man. any like in, in a cam newton offense you know he had greg olson all those years when he was yep. successful down in in carolina he needs a good tight end and he needs a, a honestly he needs more consistency out of the running back position too they couldn't fucking run the ball they clearly did not have anything on the same page i think that they're dynamic duo of running backs and you know catching receivers at, at, at running back the five of them I yeah. won't even go through all of them, but you know the you know the littles and the bigs and the fast and the slow. I think that that is severely hampers a lot of the rhythm and flow in yeah, this offense. I was just about to say that rhythm. I really think it's not only just a fantasy thing. It's like it's like who's your go-to guy in the past? It was you know third down situation. You know you knew Legarrette Blunt was getting the ball. Legarrette Blunt was going to get the ball. Take you even further back on that. The first running back that used to catch you know screen passes on third down. Kevin Falk. Yeah. That was his go-to play. Catching the ball on third down, sweep pass, boom, first down. Tom Brady on first down in a shotgun set, looking back. He's on the 30, and they're going to take a shot downfield on an open field with Rob Gronkowski running a slant right into the end zone. Big plays. I mean, you know, so Julian Edelman doing a quick out to the sidelines. I mean, those were signature plays. The Patriots have nothing. I, the signature plays are how well the defense has been playing, and that has a lot to do with the continuity. I don't on, think that can be understated, though. I mean, uh, the, how well the defense is playing. Yeah, no, I, you know, the, the defense is going to play well. The offense, the rhythm is completely out of sync. There was my Belichick was mic'd up for that game, and right after Ryan Izzo fumbled the ball, he came over. He was like, "Ryan, that's our tuck and release play. Our, you know, that's our tuck and grab play in practice." Like. That is a practice drill. Secure the fucking football. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how else to tell you. So what do you think they can do moving forward? I, I think they got to get a lot more creative with Cam Newton and his ability to roll out. And once they get the rollout and they're questioning and, you know, putting the defense on their heels and questioning run or pass, you know, then you can open up the offense. I still like to see Cam throw the ball around the field. I, but that, again, that has to do with his wide receiving core. And to be honest, it's not that Julian Edelman doesn't look good this year. Julian Edelman doesn't look happy. Yeah, he looks hurt also. It, uh, he always looks hurt. He, every, uh, he, was like, he was like put together with tape and... Play-Doh. Play-Doh last year. I mean, he was a broken human. And he's, you're never going to see him complain. You're never going to see him actually show emotion unless something is really hurt. He looks very unhappy. He just... You can tell from his candor the way he walks back to the to the bench and it's not the same for him. I, I, I just, I see a lack of desire. That's uh, he's just missing someone, whether he's missing Tommy, he's missing Danny. He's missing, uh, he's missing everyone. If you think, I mean, if you think about it, when is, when did, uh, when did Edelman get there? Two Oh nine. No, he was drafted in 2000 and 
Nine, correct. Yeah, was it so nine? when I, okay. uh, 2009, yes, because he's a year older than me. So that was when I graduated and I was back, whatever. Yeah. I mean, so he's been there a long time he's and had, a, and lot had of, a lot of relationships with those guys. I mean, you can't use that word understate. You can't understate that enough. It, he's in a tired offense. And I, I will tell you one thing, though. This team, if they happen to fall to two and four, two and five, three and six, that's not by purpose. Uh, there is still a lot of upside for Bill Belichick to win football games. This team will never tank. And as much as our guest today, who was fantastic and to talk college football, Mike Golick Jr., um, just a little later in the show, he talked about what a gem and, and, oh man, he was talking about how unbelievably talented a generational talent that Trevor Lawrence is on offense. That would be great to go out, go out and get him if the Patriots had traded a first round pick and they got with the Jets and they got their first round pick for next, for the 2021 season. I it's just I don't see it happening. Belichick wants to beat Don Shula. He's going, he's not gonna take an off year for that. But I would tell you, I would bet that if the Patriots are way below 500, expect a, a few big pieces to be moving. And as of right now, Stephon Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year, he's on the trade block. And I even said this in my podcast at my old station, whatever, my podcast at EEI, I, I said I had a hot take in one of, the, one of the shows, and I said, I think the Patriots are going to trade Stephon Gilmore. Why not? Strike while the iron's hot. If you're not going to get any talent from the draft, if no one at the trade deadline is, is at least feasible to go out and get, like, you're not going to get a Stephon Diggs-type talent at the trade deadline without giving up a lot of draft capital, so why not... Move give some up pieces. Some, yeah, give up, some give of up your to own take it. Talent. Jo- and he's in the last year of his deal, correct? He's in the last year of his deal. And talking to Joe Tooney's agent, who is the other Mike McCartney. Mike McCartney and Mike McCarthy. Ah, okay. It's really funny. If you follow him on, on Twitter, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboy fans just tag him and go after him. They're like, hey, coach, you suck. And he has really funny responses. But he is Joe Tooney's agent. He was Mohamed Sanu's agent. Um, and... He said at length, and I, you know, of course, the investigative journalism that I was trying to get scoop, but we became very close friends. And he really took the time this offseason to explain to me the salary cap situation with the team. And basically that in order for, you know, Joe Tooney to have a lasting impression or at least have a long-term contract, that it was going to be a big thing for them to make him sign the franchise tag. But uh, Dante Hightowers is in the last year of his deal. He desperately needs his contract restructured. And Stephon Gilmore, that's easy. If they wanted Stephon Gilmore to hang around for a few more years, they could have done that in the offseason. Because that is, I mean, I, it's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's a glaring, glaring, large, large, you know, eight-figure number. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I mean Stephon Gilmore, he originally was a Buffalo Bill. And Bill Belichick will never trade to the AFC East, so I can't even... That's not true. He has. I, I don't think he would trade to the Bills right now. Uh, no, he definitely... Uh, the Buffalo Bills, absolutely not. But but, he, but teams like that, like teams that are that desperately need a cornerback, they're probably already calling about Stephon Gilmore. Uh, I wouldn't if, be surprised. How can you not? If the rumor is out there... Um, He's a Darrell Rebus type. He can he can change he the is. look of the secondary, and he is, and and he's having a little off year this year, and perhaps Bill is seeing something else in in line of 
the benefit of his team so that he doesn't lose the locker room. I'm not I'm not saying that he's at that point yet. We're yeah. not at that point, guys, okay? It's week 7 of the NFL, but just don't be surprised if the Patriots they're selling at the trade deadline. And that would just I mean, what people would be like, "Oh my god, Cordy, can you analyze this?" I, I would find the team much more fascinating in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And it would give you something to look forward to, a faster rebuild. You, you can kickstart a rebuild by getting rid of some of those well, major pieces. Also, too, I mean, what, what's to say that if they trade Stephon Gilmore and Joe Tooney, they can still reasonably, again, not to knock the Buffalo Bills, I think they're fantastic. And they're, you know, deservedly so, the lead of the AFCs, Okay. There is a lot of upside in winning the division title without Brady. Yeah. And there is a lot of clout for Bill Belichick that's on the line. And he's a proud man. I know that because we have the same birthday. So yeah. I don't like to lose, and neither does he. Okay. Well, I mean, I just don't see I don't see the Patriots winning any more than six or seven games looking at their schedule. Uh, but that's but again, 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 again. This is what we said in the as we we're gonna move on. It's this is what everyone expected. Yeah. Like you go yeah. into the season, uh, it's almost like you, it's like we're just looking through rose-colored glasses here. You go into the season, you say, "All right, this team's gonna suck," but then when you're in the season, you're like, "Oh no, man, they're not gonna be that bad, right?" And then when they suck and live up to the expectations that everyone placed on them, why should we be surprised? Why we shouldn't? Instead of going down the list of. Every single game because I was making my head spin trying to go satir- back. That was more satirical, though. We just did it to kind of make fun of the fact that I'm awful at explaining things. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm the talking female about gambling from a unique. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so yeah, I was really hoping that you weren't going to come in and be like, "Oh, well, we have to take these picks in the over." I just I find it interesting to you know pick games and all that stuff, but only a few of them really need to ex- be explained. However. Will wants to get this podcast done immediately so he can drive down to the Barstool Sportsbook in Philly. Yes, and gamble. Yeah, enjoy your six-hour drive ahead. So, in line of that, you've already done your homework and your research. Yes, ma'am. So, we're going to do gambling tips from Will. Yes, gambling Uh, tips from me. We're going to have a theme every week if this becomes weekly. This week's theme is going to be Don't Be Afraid of Big Numbers. Oh, wow. All right. Are they going to eat you? Mm-hmm. Make you some money, though. All right. First thing, Big Ten football. Michael Jr. we had on. Big Ten football is back this weekend. There are some huge numbers on the overs. However, it's the first week. They've had very interesting training camps. I think there's going to be a lot of sloppy tackling and bad defense. Hammer those fucking overs. I saw it, Ohio State, Nebraska was 68 points. I've seen computer models have that anywhere from 73 to 78 points. So take that shit to the bank. Uh, second, staying in college football, uh, the top teams have relatively easy games. I mean, Clemson's a 46-point favorite against Syracuse. Uh, I am a Syracuse native, and their football team's not good. No, they're no they're a lacrosse school. They're very bad. They've been bad for a very this long time. This is one of the bigger lines that I've seen in a long time, but it is going to be a part of my three team college football parlay that, okay, which that, is? Or that you can you could say it can't lose. Okay. We're gonna take Ohio State minus twenty six. Nebraska is fucking terrible. Okay. And we're gonna take Clemson minus forty six for the same reason. 
Syracuse is terrible. Okay. And we're taking Wisconsin, the Badgers, minus 18 and a half against Illinois. Illinois picked last by the, uh, the Big Ten Writers Association, I believe. It's whatever. Uh, yeah. Whatever that is. People picked last. Crown. Yeah, picked last in the division. They're going to get hammered. So we got Ohio State, Clemson, Wisconsin, all against the spread. Take those. You will win money. I promise you. Wow. Okay. And I guarantee it. What's the next gambling? How many gambling tips are we doing? Uh, we're, we got five. The last one's a Jesus. Nice, last How much airtime do you think I'm giving nice you? Segue. Uh, I don't know, boss. I you mean, but said, like, yo, like what? <laughs> we'll get, I'm telling you. This is, this is, I know. We're this doing is two be, more. We're oh, doing two oh, more. Pick your next two. Okay, fine. Pick uh, the best of the two okay. and make it snappy. Okay. Uh, in the NFL, um, staying with our theme, don't be afraid of big numbers. The Buffalo Bills are minus 11 and a half point favorites against the Jets. They're going to cover that yeah. easily. They're yeah. going to win by 21. And the Kansas City Chiefs are a nine and a half point favorite against Denver. We're going to take Kansas City in that game because altitude. Drew Locke. Whenever He's Denver's not going to be good altitude. for that much longer. No. And what, I, the first time I really sat down and watched the Chiefs was against the Bills, and their defense is suffocating. Yeah. So, um, segue gambling tip. Uh, we're going to talk about a World Series. Uh, first inning unders. First inning unders. They're normally point two five. out, two out hits, and first inning unders. That's a prop bet right there. You're gonna have to do that either online or if your if your sports book has prop bets. But first inning unders, uh, they've hit most of the postseason. Uh, they've hit uh, they hit game one, didn't hit last game, but the rest of the series expect great starting pitching matchups. I know we have Walker Bueller and uh, I forget who tonight, but either way. Point five under that, lock it in, you will win money. The World Series. I am really thoroughly enjoying this. And although yesterday was the day off, such a different type of baseball season. We have three games in a row. At like games three, game four, game five, all in one place. Globe Life Field in Arlington. I love that they're allowing fans in the stands, obviously, because it's the state of Texas. Yeah. As long as they practice, it finally feels like an actual sporting event. It's the really the first time I would say that I'm watching a sporting event and I'm like, wow, this actually means something in the month of October. <sighs> Man, I, I I said that I thought that the Rays were going to win four to two. I didn't realize how much Mookie Betts wants to stick it to the Red Should Sox. Should I insert the sad music now? No, not this second. The Dodgers, Same. no, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to cry yet. Um, the Dodgers have a firepower team. Clayton Kershaw came to play. In I mean, Clayton Kershaw is pristine. Clayton Kershaw, you can you can get either one or the other, and Kershaw is most definitely at least right now the front runner for MVP. The Dodgers, they have the better offense here, and you know Tyler Glass now did not pitch very well. Um, you know, but in game two, Brandon Lau, Terps, hit two opposite field home runs. That was fantastic to see. I think the Rays, in order for them to at least make this a series, they have to get production from Brandon Lau and Joey Wendell. I, other than that, those two guys, when they're not hitting, that lineup is sleepy. Couple that with Randy Rosarena, you know, that offense, they can do damage to the Dodgers' bullpen. And it should be very interesting to see which offense is, I mean, I don't know, duh. I feel like someone's going to make fun of me for saying this. But yeah, in a pitcher's duel, 
which it is for most of the game, when you get into the bullpens, I mean, I'm going to take the better offense here. And, uh, you know, Mookie Betts did something on, you know, in game one. When was that? Tuesday night? I don't even know. I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday. Uh, no, Wednesday, Tuesday night. night. No. Wednesday night. Or was it Wednesday? I'm either not... either either way, Mookie Betts did something that hadn't been done in how many uh, years? 99 years? 99 years. So, Jared Carabas, who was one of our guests who was on a few episodes ago, <laughs> watching him tweet, and I mean, he just felt the way every, every Red Sox fan felt. It was like the Mookie Betts show, comparing him to Babe Ruth, this and that, the curse of the Bambino, all, you know, I mean, Dan Shaughnessy probably sold... 25, 30 more books during this entire broadcast. Oh, it's so sad to see Mookie Betts. He, he was supposed to stay around. And why did they trade this guy? The Red Sox remind you, they traded this guy because he hated Boston. Now, all of the allegations against the Red Sox as a racist city and a racist town and Tory Hunter coming out and tell, telling a really harrowing story about uh, fans in the stands yelling the N-word and obscenities at them and harassing them and other players not wanting to come to Boston. The Red Sox came out and they said, this is a problem and it's not okay. And they acknowledged that this happens a lot at Fenway Park. And it not only happens to the players, it happens to their employees. And when you get to the point where you have that much of a lack of diversity, at least among your fan base... You're going to have to sit on your sword a little well, bit. Well, the, the ownership group and executive group looks like the fucking Brady Bunch. No, I mean, no, they, but they're clowns. It's whitewash. They're, they're clowns. Uh, John Henry is a clown. Yeah. And I don't even have to get on my high horse and my soapbox for that. But uh, did Mookie have an issue with playing in Boston? Absolutely. I, there was a reason. I think there was a story, too, that he was pissed. <laughs> he got so mad that during the championship duck boat parade that he and his wife or girlfriend and young child were on the duck boat and people were were hawking full beers at him and he was outraged are you kidding me look where you play okay oh i'm so sorry that that drunk shit-faced kid in high school threw a beer at you because he he got so hammered he forgot that he wasn't at a patriots parade you know that's just the behavior that you're going to get in any sports town. It's whether it's Philly or Boston or anywhere else, New York. I don't know. They just had won a uh, fucking World Series, too. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, okay. So, oh, it came down to the money. Yeah, they were $30 million apart, and they were two years apart, and they wouldn't add it, and he's 28. And the numbers for someone at 28 years old at the time for his position – I mean, he was tailing off and he, someone who doesn't want to play in a locker room. And clearly, I mean, it's trickling down to someone like, uh, to like JBJ and, you know, looking like Xander Bogarts is going to be the only one that's going to be left on this team. Mookie's reason for leaving Boston was not about the money. And a lot of people saying that like, Oh yeah. You know, they were just, they were, they were too far apart in the numbers and the Red Sox, they want to no, Okay. Because if Mookie really wanted to stay, he looks at John Henry say, open the checkbook. You know, John gets in his little voice and he says, what do you want to stay? He did not want to be here. And that's why he's playing for the Dodgers. So he got traded so they could get some capital. Back. Oh, and I mean, they, they, they're not capital. I mean, they, they, like, they, dumped, they dumped David Price with the deal. I mean, they just, they're, just in a, they're in a fire sale 
at least for the time being. Hopefully it doesn't last for too long, but having It's not going to. It's ha- salary cap. They have, there's no salary cap in baseball. That if they open up the checkbooks, I'm sure they're, they're I'm sure they'll be able to find a, a decent, you know, a decent 23 man roster. They're 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 going to have to start paying people and um but I mean the, the the poetic justice that people think that they're so sly by watching Mookie um, on a historic run, he just has an extra pep in his step. He was bouncing around and comparing what you were saying, 99 years. So Mookie drew a walk and he stole two bases. They had a double steal in the fifth inning of game one. And oh my God, the statisticians and the historians and who by chance, 99 years ago, in 1921 in the World Series, a man named Herman Babe Ruth Pulled a walk and stole two bases. Oh, my God. Oh, so, yeah. Can you play the sad music now? Because I'm just going to start reading an article that Jeff Passan wrote on ESPN that just really made me want to just, uh, yeah. Jump off a bridge? Mm, yeah, Tobin. Tobin style. Sure. All right. Cue and music. <laughs> Game one of the World Series on Tuesday was the Mookie Betts show. Clayton Kershaw earned a Best Supporting Actor statuette. Bets on baseball's biggest stage managed to differentiate himself. He married the game of Ruth's era with his own modern version. Ugh. Like, no. And this is even better. It goes through the numbers of the game. When the Dodgers traded outfielder Alex Verdugo and shortstop prospect Jeter Downs for Bets and David Price in February... They did so with Tuesday night in mind. I mean, kill me now. Are you kidding me? I'm reading this article and it really makes me want to slit my wrist. Speaking of that, Jared Carabas tweeting, oh my God, this is terrible. I want to die watching Mookie just absolutely kill the field. And Twitter sent him a note wondering they said you know a lot of your a lot of your language has been flagged for self-deprecating you know possibly suicidal behavior we want to know we want you to know that we're here for you yeah that was funny that was really good you can't make shit like that up no no you definitely can't so uh all long and short the Mookie Betts trade it had to happen I am fine with it I am fine with it and that's crazy because He could go off and win three, four World Series with the Dodgers, and I would still be okay with it. Because if he doesn't want to be here and he's not playing to the strengths of this team, misery needs company. It's only going to bring this team down even further. And to be honest, I don't think that he's going to live up to his contract at least as much as he thinks he is. That second contract, especially the one that Alex Rodriguez signed, what was it, with the... The Yankee, uh, uh, no, the Rangers it was like a 14 year deal or some shit. Uh, yeah, 14 year deal, $252 million. I mean, they, they were still paying him after the fact. Uh, that second deal was the Yankees. I know, 300 million. Those second contracts, they never work out. All the statisticians and all the geeks and the dorks that are out there that are putting his name alongside Alex Rodriguez and Willie Mays and, you know, all of the greats in the game. Good for you. I'm sure that there's a stat for everyone, and Mookie fits the bill. Yeah. I think on that, it's about time to send it over to Michael Oak Jr. His father was a very famous ESPN broadcaster, but his son, Mike Oleg Jr., 
is possibly more famous than your dad right now. Taking over the airwaves. You got a new show on ESPN radio. You are on TV. You're doing calls from the booth. What's up, Mike? How you yeah, doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, Courtney. Yeah, it, it's it's gotten busy in all the good ways. I tell everyone after four months of trying to do a radio show with no sports, I will take the version of life right now that leaves me with a lot less free time, but a lot more fun and a lot more to watch. Uh, I asked you when we first got on the stream yard, I was like, are you in like Alabama or something? Arkansas State? He's like, no, you were broadcasting out of a remote booth. That's something COVID different that, I don't know, worries me. Hope that it doesn't stay. We like to be, you know, reporters that are on the road. How, how was that experience last night? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And like you said, a lot of people have had to make this adjustment. I remember talking to Adam Amin, who used to be uh, my colleague here at ESPN, is now mm-hmm. calling games over at Fox. And he was one of the first guys I knew that had gotten into the remote booth setup like we have now. And it's super interesting. Like you said, we all love being out at live events. I think that's why we get into covering sports is you want to stay close to the actual game action. But in lieu of that right now, it's really impressive the job that, you know, ESPN and everyone else have done getting these environments in studio as close to the atmosphere as you're going to get as many looks as you can get at it. So we can still do the job because still someone has to tell the stories of the players that are going out there and trying to play sports in the midst of everything that's going on. And, and we take that honor pretty seriously. And so it's been a lot of fun still, even if we don't get all the same feels of inside a stadium. What's better being, uh, you know, calling a, a college football game or sitting on a set with your dad? Have you to ask dad questions. Talk yeah, about no. the sign off. Everything. Just give me the full <laughs> Yeah, the the sign off is is I, I don't know. That one got a lot more traction than I expect because like that's you know not what we went into that moment. Like it was a really emotional time for for everyone in my family, and it was just one of those things that, like you said, getting to sit on set with my dad's going to be the highlight of my professional career. I, I won't ever top that. Like getting to do a show with him for for almost three years, the way that we did on Golik and Wingo is is going to be the highlight because it was something we always knew might have been a possibility, but you never know. Dad, I mean, Dad spent 20 years as one of the premier shows and one of the premier broadcasters in radio, in sports media, and I was just getting started. So I was fortunate that they felt like bringing me along for the ride. But just, you know, you know in the interest of that moment, giving people flowers while they can still smell them kind of thing, like our family is – always lived a really public life because of what his radio show was. It was a family show first. And so to get to finish it off with our whole family on set there and to, to get to tell dad, you know, all of the things that he showed us during his time, maybe without even knowing it, just because of where his priorities are and the kind of man he is. It was, it it was a cool moment. And then to hear from people after the fact, you know, family members that watched that show that said, you know, I watched that last episode with my son or with my daughter or with my dad or with my mom and had it resonate the way that it it does when a show is about family was, was a cool byproduct that I I didn't really see coming. You talked about it. You've only been in this industry. You have the gift of the gab. Okay. (laughs) I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I can remember, I, I completely forgot that you were a, a Notre Dame football player. And obviously after the football career ends and you decide to step into media, 
you have the best role model and leader uh, right in front of you. What was the biggest piece of advice that you would, that he gave you? And what is something that you continually try to improve on as a broadcaster? I'm not going to call you a rookie broadcaster. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to say it's kind of like, it's kind of like in the NFL where you got to get four games into your second season before you're officially not a rookie. Like yeah. I, I think now at this point, like five years in, I finally feel less like a rookie, but I still don't feel by any means like a vet in all of this. So holding down that middle ground, but dad's advice, as corny as this is going to sound, his day one advice was always just be yourself. Like, especially, and, and you know this, whether it's radio, podcasting, like it's too long form of a medium for you to try and keep up an act. That's for people a lot smarter than me as my dad would say, you're not smart enough to be somebody else. So be yourself. But that's what people come for in a lot of this. The information being great and being prepared in that way is always the foundation. And that's, that's what I saw. That's never what I heard from dad is I just watched the way he worked and prepared. I saw the way that he was so diligent about making sure he was going to have the facts there. He was going to have the support he needed for whatever he was saying, but he was going to bring it to the table in the way that was most uniquely and authentically him. And that's what I watched people, you know, eat up for 20 years as he was there on the, you know, everyone's morning, on sports talk, whether it was Mike and Mike or Golik and Wingo, is it was the way he delivered it. So that's what I, I still try and go to now is just as you go through, because you see so many people do things well, and we've got so many talented people in this industry, you can get caught up in trying to match what someone else is doing instead of just doing the best version of what you do. And I, I think I catch myself trying to center back on that because it's simple advice, but it's always been the most effective. That's beautiful. And I love that. And I know that there's so many kids that are looking up to you. And there was actually just an article that someone in one of the local newspapers wrote about me. And I had kind of just written down certain things about giving back to the next generation and my pieces of advice about networking and don't be afraid. I mean, that's my personality. I mean, I'm fire. I go after it. I won't be denied. I bang down those doors. But really, I think that giving back to the next generation of broadcasters. I mean, you, you personify it. And I think it's so beautiful. I love how you just, you call him dad, you know, he's not my goal. Like he's just, he's dad, you know? Well, <laughs> and, and you know, you know what, that was, that was a funny thing is early on when we started working together, there were conversations about that. Like, Hey, should you call him Mike on air? Like, would it be more professional? And I was like, listen, like, you guys like can take me off the show if you want to. Like, I'm going to call my dad, dad. Like, it would be so weird and forced doing it the other way. And just you know, like being upfront about that. Like you said, this is, this is about transparency. And this is about, you know, if we're going to be a father and son on air, why don't we be a father and son on air? Yeah. So, Dogs included in between the legs <laughs> and the kicks, you know, <laughs> I died over this one story. And I can't remember if I saw, no, it definitely was recorded. You've definitely posted on your Instagram. Listen, when dad works in the workplace, there's going to be some, you know, some embarrassing stories that come through the airwaves. And there was one about uh, you watching porn and him him calling you out in the worst way. Uh, Can you just retell that story? It was in front of your sister. How am I going to tell your 12 year old sister that you're watching naked girls? Like, I, is that, oh. the, I tell that story again, please, 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 please. 
Courtney, <laughs> so, it was like it was like one of his like most proud dad moments looking back on it because yeah. he dealt with something that like every parent deals with at some point, like their sons finding that section, their daughter finding that section of the internet. And I blame my brother first and foremost because my brother's failure to just simply close out of the browser was such a level of hubris that I can't possibly fathom. But so that gets found out on the computer. And so my dad brings yeah. us down into the basement and he sits us down. And when my dad gets mad, like, you know, like he never raised a hand at us, but he grows. He's like a 10 foot tall grizzly bear at that point, especially when we're like, you know, 12 and 13. And he sits down there and he's reading us the riot act in the basement. And all of a sudden he brings my sister down and, he, and she has no idea what's going on. Like she's sitting there. She's, you know, like you said, she's 10 or 11 or whatever she is at that point. And he, and he just sits there and he points at her and goes, you want to tell her what you were watching? And of course, like, we're not going to sit there and like, look at my sister and be like, yeah, we were watching porn, Sid. Like, <laughs> we just sit there in silence and dad sends her back upstairs and keeps going. And it's like now getting to revisit that all as adults. He's like, oh, yeah, I knew I had that one in the bag. You guys just sit there silent. He's like, it was pro I was like, use my sister as a prop in this. How dare you? But it was a proud moment for him. I feel like a rite of passage passage for um, every male broadcaster. I, I don't know. Maybe, again, my mind's in the gutter. I feel like I've just been hearing recently stories about, like, 14-year-old you. Kirk Minahan talks about it. He talked about listening <laughs> to songs when he, you know, some old song from the 80s came up. He's like, yo, I... I used to love this song and I used to have dirty thoughts to this song. I don't know. I mean, it just, it, just, it, it makes for great radio and thank you for telling that story. Um, we're going to get to all the fun stuff. Cause I, I mean, first of all, Notre Dame sweatshirt. That's why you're yeah. on here. We are here to preview college football. Ooh, college football starting up this weekend and you are the college football guru. And yes, you played for Notre Dame. So, I mean, they've started off the season well, uh, with a 4-0 record, typically, um, as an unbiased as you can be. How good is Notre Dame going to be this year? I, I think they've got the potential to be a great football team. We haven't seen that all realized yet, because like you said, undefeated but largely against inferior competition right now. Yeah. Their opponent's record's not great in the early portion of this season, but I, they're veteran in all of the right spots that you need to be in a pandemic season, especially like having a veteran team helps a lot, but in general, this is college football talent wills out. But this year you had a weird disrupted off season. You had, you know, a, a different kind of training camp. Even now the things you're allowed to do and able to do inside a facility are so different than having players that have been around your program for a while, understand the way things need to go. Leading the charge is more critical than ever. And so to bring back a quarterback in his third year as a starter in Ian book, to have an offensive line that returned all five starters in one of the best groups in college football while you figure out, all right, what's going on at wide receiver? How are we replacing the production we lost when Chase Claypool left in the second round of the draft to go to the Steelers? So I, I think Notre Dame is a very good team right now. You know, I, I don't think they're as good as their third ranked in the country at this point as the Big Ten gets ready to kick off. And obviously, that'll change yeah. with some of the teams entering the fray. But I think they've got the potential to be, again, what they've been in the last five years under Brian Kelly, a double-digit win football team every year with a shot if they put it together in November of being a team that can go into the playoff and hang with anybody. I It's really curious you were talking about that. Obviously, yeah, COVID shorted season, differing schedules that, you know, the Big Ten starting up this weekend. It's, I mean, there's a balance of skills. I, have, being that you are kind of in the know on the other side of things, um, 
Have you talked to anyone in this election committee about how they're going to be judging the college football playoff this year, just given that the SEC and Big Ten um, have such different schedules? You know what? We haven't gotten a clear answer, which is actually par for the course for the selection committee, because the one thing that's happened yeah. is as as they set out and they list us all the criteria of things they'll consider, you know, strength of schedule, common opponent, out of conference, conference championships. It's never a defined rubric. It's always drawn up. And with the committee changing members every year, we know certain members graduate out. They bring new ones in. It's always been drawn up in the dirt on this. And I, we talk to Heather Dinich all the time, who does such a great job, not only reporting on all of college football, but she's, I mean, basically got her ear to the door of that committee room during most seasons. And I think now the job gets more difficult because you're not going to have any of those out-of-conference matchups to test opponents in a lot of this when it comes to the Power Fives. And so I, I think it's going to be more eye-test-based than ever. I think doing what Alabama did, and this is the unfortunate part of preseason rankings, like Alabama doing what it did to Georgia happens in part because the rankings and the polls thought highly of those teams going in. So you're going to say, all right, we got a big ranked win. Georgia barely drops in the polls after Alabama hangs 40 on them. If you're trying to, I don't know, maybe as a team in the Big Ten outside of the top 10 right now, if you're Michigan who thinks, all right, we finally found our quarterback of the future in Joe Milton, but you're not like, you know, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State getting that respect right out of the gate. Maybe it's a little harder to climb up if you don't have that initial poll respect that's going to help put you in position. I'm not, that's the part I'm not sure of yet. Yeah. Going back to the big topic of conversation, at least this past weekend, you mentioned Chase Claypool, uh, breakout superstar rookie. I'm sure you're super proud for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What, six touchdowns the last two games. You talk about rookies going into that 2021 draft, and the name Tre Trevor Lawrence, Tank for Trevor, has been coming up a lot recently just because of the New York Jets and yeah. how bad they are. And there are a couple of your colleagues, I think, either your colleagues or someone in FS1 was like, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm hanging around Clemson another year because I don't want to go to that Jets team. I mean, the Jets could lose, you know, every single game again next year. But if you're Trevor Lawrence, what do you do? Uh, I, I think you probably end up going now. We've seen there's some history, like the, you, you can go all the way back to the Eli Manning stuff of trying to use your status to manipulate what goes on in the draft. But ultimately, I think it gets to a point. I think we're at that point with Trevor right now where – when he gets done with this year, there's going to be nothing the college game has left to offer him. He's a national champion. It, 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 what we're seeing right now from him, because he's always had the ungodly ability. He's always had such physical talent. He's unbreakable. I, after I saw him take that hit in the Fiesta Bowl last year against Ohio State that crumpled him, he ultimately came back onto the field. I knew that guy was built to something different. He's Teflon Trevor as far as I'm concerned. But he's seeing the game like when Neo broke the Matrix. Like it's all zeros and ones for Trevor right now. I love that. I love that comparison. Who would you compare him to? So I said especially what we've seen from Justin Herbert. Because Justin Herbert's performed better at the NFL level earlier than I expected that he would. Mm -hmm. And maybe part of that's the way Oregon and Mario Cristobal wanted to run their offense. But we're just seeing more poise under pressure from Justin Herbert. So I said, take what we've seen from Justin Herbert as an NFL quarterback so far. The stuff people like, strap a Hemi on top of that, and then sprinkle some of the Patrick Mahomes like off-platform magic in there. Because he's got, that, he's got that ability. Like He's not Patrick Mahomes, but 
he's the closest thing physically you're going to get because he's able to do that. I'm going to run away from my throwing arm and throw back across my body at full speed. And I'm going to throw it on a cold, a frozen rope and it's going to go exactly where I want it to. And they're just, there are only so many human beings that are capable of that walking this earth. There's probably not even, you know, 10 NFL quarterbacks physically that can do the things Trevor can. Maybe that number is even fewer. Oh, wow. Speaking of high talent college players, Alabama's Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle. I almost said Jason Waddle. Um, could he be the first receiver off the board next year? How good is he? He's spectacular. I, I mean, the, the speed and control and this this whole Alabama wide receiver core. I'm a huge Devonta Smith fan in that receiver core yeah. as well. John Mechie's come along for them. But I, I think Waddle's the one that really intrigues everyone just because the speed seems to be there. But they've they've done such a good job at developing wide receivers, all the different types they've had come through that program. So I, I think it'll probably be like him. Jamar Chase was the other name that even last year, at LSU, when you've got you know Justin Jefferson, who ended up being a high pick going to Minnesota, people still looked and said, Jamar Chase looks like he could be wide receiver one next year. So I think it's going to come down to those two, and that's like a style preference one. I may side with Jamar Chase in this, but Jalen Waddell is putting on an absolute show so far this year. And, and listen, having Matt Jones come in and very seamlessly transition certainly helps that, but he has got so much talent across the board, and Waddell's the point of the spear. I hate to get back and talking about COVID. Every time we talk about COVID on my show, I, I like turn to my producer. I'm like, can we cut this out? It's boring. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I'm not a doctor and I'm an epidemiologist or, you know, whatever, but uh, COVID's really run rampant through some of those SEC teams. Uh, yeah. LSU practically admitted coach O was like, yeah, our whole team just got COVID. Um, Nick Saban had a scare last weekend. What's the latest on the virus and college football? Is it is it really impeding on the season as much as people think from the outside? Yes, and I think this is one of the things that I look at and I've seen it, and college football and the media always has this kind of weird uh, antagonistic relationship at times with NFL media. It's, it's one of those things that you just see, but you see a lot of times – in college football, they try and say, well, look, college football season's going along. They're showing you can do it where the NFL, we saw what happened with the Titans. We've mm -hmm. seen what's going on with the, uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders right now, having to send home a whole line. The schedule moves. It looks worse with the NFL because, A, you've got a collectively bargained agreement between a player's union and the league that doesn't exist in college. So college, the rules are dictated on a one-way street. And in college – there are so many teams that everything can be true at once. Like some teams can be getting it done and doing very well. And plenty of others, we've seen tons of games postponed. Like you said, the SEC getting hard. Notre Dame had to postpone a game against you Wake Forest earlier in this season. And so all of that, like it's all being affected in the exact ways I expected in college football. I expected postponements, cancellations, the difficulties that have come. It's just easier if you want to ignore it in college football because the pool of teams is so much bigger. Was it Ohio State that uh, with Ryan Day and he made them sign a waiver and it was like a big, big red flag with the NCAA, basically um, – forcing these kids to sign their life away because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Buckeye pledge was universally skewered by all of us on the outside yeah. because it was one of those things that it wasn't technically a waiver, but it looked and sounded like a waiver. And, and 
like again, like he's like he said before, like a lot of this ends up being boring because it boils down to like weird legal ease that we all have to dive into. Yeah. But like liability suits would be really hard to prove in this situation. Trying to show did you get COVID while you were at our facility? Now some of the contact tracing measures might help, but at the end of the day, yeah. Trying to do things like that, again, in college where you don't have a union or a players association, and you're trying to, in that instance, say the quiet thing loud, it's like, hey, we need you guys to shoulder all this burden so the rest of us can keep making all that money. It's never looked clearer than it has this year in college football, and so it's a lot easier for not just like a a lot of us in college football media that see it, but the general public to look and say, wait a minute, like we're in the middle of a global pandemic. That smells funny for a bunch of players that aren't getting paid a dollar on this. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Ohio State, let's start our Big Ten football conversation right there. They are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone in that conference. And sadly, my Maryland Terrapins will get to them in a second. As much as I love that they jumped from the ACC, they got, you know, 30 more million dollars a year so they can build this ginormous facility and you know that program might be on the up I mean going up again a conference against Ohio State Michigan Nebraska I it's just it kills it, it, it's a killer every single year and you know that program Ohio State is just fantastic year after year um do you see anybody competing with them especially just I mean at least in the conference um I I would say no I I think listen I think Early in the season, getting a look at Michigan and Minnesota, who are going to be one of the big games to start off the Big Ten run, is going to be the one to watch because there are a lot of rumblings around Ann Arbor that Joe Milton is finally the guy. and He's the first quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has recruited out of high school that started day one for him since he's been at Michigan. So you know, it, we're kind of removing every excuse they can have for why that position hasn't worked out the way it's supposed to under Jim Harbaugh. But they lost so much talent elsewhere. Who knows if it's them? You know, if you're Wisconsin, you're replacing Jonathan Taylor's production at running back, which they always seem to find a way to do because Wisconsin's a running back family, but a factory. But, you know, moving on from Jack Conan quarterback, like, yeah, it's just like one after another, the NFL yeah. portrait of Wisconsin running backs that were all in the same it's backfield. Like Iowa, Iowa is tight end you. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the pedigree. Some Notre Dame is tight end you. Okay. I always got a couple of really good guys that I like, obviously. But Ferens, Kirk Ferens, he's um, it. They are a great – listen, Iowa, Iowa, like you said, you know what? The Big Ten has really great sure identities. That's why going into most yes. seasons you can move around a lot of the parts. And that's why it becomes difficult to find someone, like you said, capable of taking down Ohio State. You can find – People that can do it as a one-off, you know, Penn State, you know, they'll drop one like a weird one to Purdue or something every once mm-hmm. in a while. But overall, no one recruits the depth of athletic talent at the skill positions the way Ohio State does. The rest of the Big Ten recruits to beat each other. Ohio State recruits to beat Alabama, recruits to beat Clemson, recruits to beat, you know, the national elites. And they get them so consistently that it's kind of that effect of, all right, well, as we lose a lot of these great players on the outside, they just restock and reload. And when you bring back, again, this season, head coach and starting quarterback, when they're one as good as Justin Fields and Ryan Day, you're automatically leaps and bounds ahead of the rest who are trying to play catch up and draw that in the dirt 
with a season that started. And for the Big Ten, remember, more confused than everyone else. Stopped training camp, thought they weren't going to have a season, yeah. came back, had to restart. Like, it all got infinitely more difficult. Fields, uh, that touchdown to interception ratio is pretty crazy. He's got 51 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, it's it's going to be hard for the Michigan Wolverines to even compete once again this year. It's the long, drawn-out, sad story every single season that they just cannot seem – to compete or hang with Ohio State. And that rivalry has gone years and years. And as much as I love Jim Harbaugh and I root for them and, you know, I, I uh, how much more of a leash does he have? You know what? He probably should have a lot more of a leash than he's going to be given. And, and don't get me wrong. Like there's a sick part of me as a Notre Dame fan that's always going to despise Michigan. But again, as I like look at it from the broadcast sense, Jim Harbaugh winning double-digit games more often than not in his tenure here. I mean, coming out of the gate smoking with 10 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins, and your only failure being not being able to beat an Ohio State team that's just on one of those runs where they're built different than most of the teams in the country hardly seems like a reason to say, yeah, we should fire the really good coach. Like, I've been through a coaching change. It, like, there are so many parts of it that people miss that, are, that suck and are terrible and, like, you know, while it worked out, like we ended up gelling with Brian Kelly and things started to go well and have continued to go well for the last decade, the transition isn't easy and you're never guaranteed what comes out the other side. Even for even for a place like Michigan, that's always going to be able to get the highest level of coaches because it's still a blue chip job. Like I, I never make those decisions lightly. And so if you're Michigan, you've got to Unfortunately, one of the difficult things in college football is to have an honest assessment of yourself and say, all right, with what we're accomplishing, do we really think this coach is the one thing separating us and the level of talent we're bringing in from what we think we should be? Well, really, it's it's a recruiting issue. And I know that for years, the University of Maryland, they couldn't keep guys from PG County, which had outside of Florida, had probably one of the highest percentage of Division One athletes. They couldn't keep them there because they had – no pull with the athletic department, and there was that whole ordeal. But, yeah, you talked about it. You hit on it. It takes a while to bring continuity in there, to develop players. How long does it take to build a program up? I, I would say it takes about three years to get linemen ready, and that's that's Maryland's biggest weakness. Yeah, and, and Maryland, I mean, listen, their choice, like Mike Loxley and his head coaching record, quite frankly, aren't stellar. Like, I mean, what yeah. we've seen from him in the past, he got some of that shine by going to Alabama boot camp. But like, I, I don't know, I look at this situation and I, I say with them, it's a little bit different because I'm not sure Mike Loxley is the guy for the job in that instance. But Maryland's got a tough job. Like, again, you start just glomming on to a big conference like the Big Ten because it seems like a good idea. And then you run into the problems that they have versus Michigan. Like, they've established a program. Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in all of football, period, at jump-starting a program. Like, it does not take him long to turn things around. I watched firsthand when I was at Notre Dame what he did at Stanford. They went from being 1-11 to being one of the powerhouses in college football that's still going on now because of what he did and because of what he knows how to do, whether it's there, the Niners are now at Michigan. So they're set, as far as I'm concerned, in building a program. It's just – Going through that upper crust, like it's it's being, you know, to use a basketball analogy, it's being the Raptors in the Eastern Conference when LeBron is there. Like, are you really a bad team if your only crime is not being able to beat one of the best that's ever played? If you're Michigan, you had to sit there under the umbrella of Urban Meyer for years, who's one of the best 
regardless of the impropriety, one of the best college football coaches to ever stand on the sideline. And now, all right, he handed the program off to a guy that is going to maybe be an NFL head coach someday, has that background, and still has all that same talent you were bringing in. Like, that's not the biggest crime in the world. But when you see yourselves in your own head as eye-to-eye with Ohio State, it becomes difficult to stomach even this level of success. I mean, we see Saban run coaches out of the SEC like this all the time for this reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do know that Mara, Maryland, Mara, Maryland, they recruited Tua Tungavailoa's brother. What do you think about their squad this year? I mean, just give me some hope. Just please. Does Maryland have a chance ever? Uh, that was also one of my next questions, too. I just don't think – I don't think Loxley is the guy for them. I, I just think – I know he's taking a big stance internally and, you know, promoting social justice and having a big voice in that sense. But, I, I mean – Outside of the, you know, this the intangibles and things that you can say with your mouth, I don't, I just don't think he's getting it done on the field. But you know, talent wise, what do you think about this Maryland squad? Well, I mean, remember, like we're not that far removed last year from like the first two weeks of the season where we all thought Maryland was back and they're scoring like sixty six points a game. Like, it, it, listen, at, at this point, I, I think there's unfortunately still a talent dearth that doesn't allow them to compete in the Big Ten right now, especially when you're kind of trying to be counter-programming in a conference that's got a pretty strong identity of, hey, we're built in the trenches, you know, we live a certain way, like the Wisconsins and Iowas that we were just talking about. So, no, I think it's a difficult spot. And like you mentioned, like, at some point, you know, you hear the phrase all the time, you are what your record says you are. Like, he was a 2-26 and coach when he was at, or yeah, 2-26 and coach. When he was at New Mexico, like, I, I don't know what part of that screams lofty expectations for anybody who brings him on board. Oh, you said it right there. I, first of all, everyone, oh my God, Maryland's back. I get that text every single year, like clockwork in September. Have you seen how they blew them out? 59 to nothing, you know, or they scored 72 to nothing. And 72 was the number of that, you know, that poor player that passed away. But it's every single year. And then they just, they crap themselves when they hit the conference schedule. I'm not convinced otherwise. So um, who is your one team to beat and the one team that's going to surprise everyone in just general college football before we get into the personal questions? In just general. In just general college football, I would say, I mean, Clemson Clemson is so overwhelmingly the team to beat because in addition to the Trevor Lawrence conversation we had before, Travis Etienne in his backfield has kind of taken that next step in the last, really, I'd say last, you know, half of last year and into this year of being a dynamic pass catcher in all the ways you got to be in modern football. So I think Clemson, and then, I mean, God, the, the five-star freak show freshman defensive talent they trot in on the line for the best defensive coordinator in college football to just go to work with every year is yeah. nauseating. So Clemson's the team to beat in that one. I'd say the one, the one I'm most excited to see is probably going to be what Minnesota can do. I don't think I don't think they're on the team. You know what? I guess I should probably limit it to the teams that can actually win at the top level. And I'd probably say in that regard, it's still Florida. Like, I think what Florida's done offensively has been such a marked step forward for them. I understand setback, the loss to Texas A&M, and now everything going on with COVID. But when Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts are on the field together, that's a combination that's as lethal as any in college football. And they were a team that coming into this year, I think they were preseason number five, even when everybody was ranked 
in a lot of this. And they're one I'm still very interested to see if they can right the ship as far as what COVID's doing to their season. Can they come back in time to snake bite anybody along this process as we get further down the SEC schedule? We're talking to Michael Jr. of ESPN. You are an on-air personality. You are a college football know-it-all. You love donuts and food and, you know, binge eating late and, you know, and dating and sneakers and puppies. And what's, I mean, where do we start? What's your, what's your favorite cheat meal? My favorite cheat meal is probably, but during quarantine, it's been, I, I, I went through a couple of stints of banana getting bread? like, well, no, I, I go through a fair amount of banana bread, but that was more when I was living at home. Shout out to mom when I first got back and got into this and mm-hmm. was, bunking up with mom and dad, but I've been going through pints of ice cream like it's going out of style during quarantine. I think I had a stretch where I did 12 pints in 11 days or something like that. I I, I truly don't know. Like I was sitting around with the shakes. It was coffee and ice cream to start more or less oh. every day. So the fact that I've survived this in one piece and I'm not type two diabetic yet is uh, an act of God. Are you big on like minimizing? Could you go like the soy or the oat milk ice cream? Uh, could you do like the Yasso bars got a hundred calories or you just go, it's no diet food. You're just like a man's man. Listen, you know what? Like I, I live right in a lot of other portions of my life when it comes to eating and trying to do right. When I come to sin, I come to sin. So when I go like, like my, my least favorite thing in the world is going to a movie theater and seeing the calories listed on the meals of the movie theater. I didn't come here for you to try and tell me about how bad I'm being in my body. I know when I walk in the door, I came here to do bad things. So don't try and throw it in my face. Not here, not in this setting. If I want that, I will go to some green eats place. I'll go to a salad bar and I'll live right over there. I came here to sin. Make it rain, bunch of crunch. You know, I exactly. mean, like, just, you know, because then sometimes like when you get challenged, you're like, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat healthy. And then it gets shoved in your face. You're just like, no, I'm going to be real bad today. Get that yeah. piece of pie. Why not? What's your favorite donut? I mean, like there is a donut shop that's, I, I was thinking about it, but then I was like, I can't, I just can't walk into this. They have these donuts that are like this big and it's the old fashioned glaze Kind yep. of like the uh, the glazed stick from Dunkin' Donuts with the like the you know the the tough outside. I just think that those donuts are like leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. And trust me, I'm the biggest foodie. We can go tit for tat on this. Yeah, you know what? Donut shout out here, Donut Crazy West Hartford, right about a hundred yards from my house. I go over there almost every day <laughs> for some for something in some way, shape, or form, whether it's coffee, a sandwich, or the donuts there. And they got one of my favorites. It's called the Cookie Monster. It's even like a blue dough for the donuts. It's a glaze on the outside. And then there's a ball of cookie dough dropped in the middle of the circle right there. It is an absolute delight. They are incredible. At Donut Crazy CT on Instagram. Free pub. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Sometimes when I drive to New York, I drive through New Haven. Pizza. They have one. There, there is one in New Haven. Also, there is okay. one in New Haven down south. Okay. So you're good. You're good on it down there. They are one in West Hartford and one in New Haven. Mystic Pizza, or is it um, any one of those? What is it? Frank Pepe's. All of the good. All the good pizza shops in in New Haven. Is it like you're? Are you, which one? So I actually I go and uh, shout out to ESPN's own Mina Kimes, Yale alum, who is a vet of the New Haven area. 
I hit up bar this place called Bar Pizza a lot down there. Same thing that New Haven white pizza that everyone goes gaga for. Yeah, I have yeah. never been. I have never actually been to Mystic Pizza. That is a fun fact. I've lived in Connecticut for over two decades and have not been to Mystic Pizza. Love Frank Pepe's though, but a big shout out Bar Pizza. Still waiting to check Mystic off the list. Listen, I I think we're we're just gonna keep going down the line of your favorite foods because you're gonna give a shout out to every single person that's just gonna be <laughs> dumping boxes on your door. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so you're not. Is it is it a really big like clam pizza? Is big in New Haven? It's yeah, like I don't really like clam. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't really rock with that one that much. I'm like, I'm pretty cool with putting just about everything. Like I I rock with pineapple on pizza. I know that's weirdly controversial oh, no. for some people. I, I'm good. I'm good. Oh yeah. Ham throw. Like I'm good with all of that on a pizza, but the clam portion is kind of where I just personally draw the line. That's not a judgment on anybody else. That's just a me thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, do you over sensationalize any of your posts on Instagram? Like with these foods, you're like, Oh, I ate the whole cake. Um, I ate 12 donuts. Um, you know, are you worried that this is like hurting your swag game with the ladies? Uh, no, I do enough of that with other portions of my life that hurts that I don't need the food. The food, quite frankly, isn't the issue. And like, that is one of those things, you know, again, I'm a big fan and never let the truth get in the way of a good story. But that being said, food is something I don't got to lie about to kick it. Like I, I am, I am living my truth in that. It's just the ones that get posted are when I'm doing the fun stuff. Like no one wants to see me eat grilled chicken and, you know, sweet potatoes during the rest of the week. They want to see the donuts and ice cream on the weekend. So I am just in the business like you of giving the people what they want. Exactly. I, I, you know, and it's funny. You're like, oh, you know, you kick yourself in the foot with the dating stuff. I just, uh, what do you, what's like your biggest pet peeve of being a sports personality for me? I mean, I don't even have time. People are like, oh, you should go on a date with this guy. That's I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. Like I, I just got too much on my mind. And when I finally go on dates with dudes, they are either like, they just, they're just obsessed with sports. And then they ask me questions about sports, like the entire time. And I, I have to say, it's just, um, it makes me just like not want to socialize with, with men, uh, you know, who are interested in me. I just don't typically, what's your biggest pet peeve of women, well, days, I, I guess. I, but I, after, I that- after like your, your, your exact demographic, I just killed you, killed all the dudes that are like watching this. They're like, Hey, she's cute. No. I'm just saying, like, but, like, it's good putting out there, like, don't talk to her about sports. Like, she but does just that when won't. she's on just the please, clock. Please, for the like, love of God. Oh, my God, you work in sports, blah, blah, Oh, yeah, no, that's cool. And I'm like, what do you what do you think about uh, – I heard Stephon Gilmore's on the trade block with the Patriots. Like, what do you think about the offense? With, I'm like, dude, I, I do this, like, 18 hours of my day. Like, please give me free space. That's why I always tell people. We take, we take during the week. When I get to the weekend – I don't need to sit around with strong opinions about that stuff. I'm going to have a few beers, watch the games I want to watch, and then like live the other parts of my life. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Yeah, no, I'd say that that's certainly up there. But like the tough part now is, is like for me, most of my friends, especially my close friends from college are all married. They've got kids. Yeah. And so that means all their wives who I'm super close with all got friends that they try and set me up with. And it's, oh. it's very well-intentioned and all that, but it's a lot of pressure because it's like, all right, if I go out with this person now and it doesn't work or I don't like them, now I've made it awkward for you. And I don't want that kind of pressure of like ruining a relationship that you thought enough of to send my way. So those are the weird mental hurdles that come yeah. now with everybody. And like everyone's super nice. Like you got friends that want to set you up with people because they care about you and they want us to be happy. But it's also like, 
you know what? Maybe just like, like yeah. not right, not today. Yeah, yeah. I, ain't nobody got time for that. I, my friend tried to do that to me recently. She's like, oh my God, did you talk to him? Did you talk to him? Because they were like trying to send me. So then I have her mom texting me, her texting me. So what's the latest? And I'm like, oh, please, no. Um, but anyways, yeah, dating. Dating life is difficult these days. The last thing that I want to ask you about is like sneaker collection. You know, yeah. you might be like, professional on the top pants, but it's just, it's kicks constantly. Is that your biggest money pit? Oh, by far. It was one of those things. Cause I never really was into them when I was younger because for me, like, you know, I was fortunate. My, my dad made a comfortable living, but I didn't want to like spend boatloads of his money on stuff. And so I never really had that vice, but then all of a sudden I get out, I start making my own money. And you mentioned like professional up top. I appreciate that. I am, I am simple up top. Like, I don't know how to dress myself overly well. I don't claim to have a lot of style, but I can control the ankle down. And what I figured out is I know what I like. And so now that I've got, like, I don't have disposable, you know, income that I'm spending on kids or like anything crazy like that. Like I just have this one thing. I have to feed myself, get myself to work every day. And then I've got a bunch of money left over to spend on shoes. And so I have explored that side of me. And it's been a lot of fun because, man, you don't need to have a cool outfit if you just have like the, set, like the five inches from the ankle down taken care of. Like I get old ladies, little old ladies that come up to me all the time when I've got like bright colored shoes on that'll stop me and be like, I love your shoes. And that's all you got to do. Like it's that easy. I, I've got cataracts in my eyes and, and wow, those really lit up. <laughs> it's it. They, like, you don't need to be a sneakerhead and just loud colors appeal to everybody. And I figured that out early. Who was the, um, the last question before I let you go? This has been so fun and fantastic. That campus at ESPN in Bristol is very cool. And I heard about the, the gift cards, the greeting cards in the, in the cafeteria and all that fun stuff and the coffee machines from Diana Rossini and yeah. all that. Who, I mean, who is just the coolest person that you run into? I, I mean, I worked when I worked at NFL network, it was just like rotating cast of former players. It was like the, you know, Ike Taylor's and Steve Smith's and Deion Sanders. It's like, Oh yeah. You just walk past that guy. But I mean, who's, who's the coolest dude that you bump shoulders with every day? Coolest person I ever will bump with every day. And like you said, the rotating cast of people that come through the coolest person I ever met on campus was magic Johnson. Like no, no one, no. no one has the ability to make you feel cool by just being around them. Like magic Johnson was like when magic Johnson walks up and like daps you up and says, well, wait, what's he, up gave and, you dap. he hooked, he oh, hooked yeah. up with the full dap. That's yeah, like, what, like, and That's when bad. that, when that happens, you're like, Oh my God. Like, Magic Johnson just dat me up and is talking to me right now. Magic Johnson just like he doesn't like walk around. He's like Stephen A. Smith. He swaggers around. He's like he floats almost through the room there. So I, I think that one for me was like because like you know this we're we're around a lot of people all the time in this industry that we cover that you get to you know know and have relationships with professionally. That was the one where I was still like a little kid starstruck of like oh my god this person just kind of gave me the time of day in here is sort of insane. That's so cool. And yeah, by the way, Stephen A. Smith is, he's a super cool guy to be around too. He's just the realest of the real, what you get on camera. And that's what your dad taught you. And that's how we'll wrap this up. Where can we find you? Give us a plug. How many more games are you doing? Like just, I don't know, run down the spiel. Give like your press sheet. 
Yeah, here's the press sheet. Uh, first off, follow me on Twitter, at Mike Golick Jr., Instagram, at Mike Golick Jr. Check out the radio show, Chenang Golick Jr., 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can also check out the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can check me out. Um, what do we got on here? Cameo? Uh, Are you on Cameo? Only fans? I am, like, I, 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 not, not yet. Wait, but I what is, what is up with that? Jared Carabas was saying something. He works at Barstool. I had him on his guest, and he was like – he goes, oh my god, yeah, like we'll we'll give like baseball clips, and he's like, and put it on OnlyFans. So I was like, is that the next thing that's going to be happening? Sports anchors going on OnlyFans? I, I'll record a take on OnlyFans, but uh, yeah, I have not yet gotten into the OnlyFans bag, but no, you also. All, all over the ESPN digital package, though, um, certainly. Looking forward to that. Rankings reactions on Tuesdays once the college football starts, uh, playoff committee starts ranking stuff with Jason Fitz. And Thursday nights in the booth with Matt Barry on ESPN calling a lot of great, you know, we've had great Sunbelt action so far. I think we're on the call for uh, for South Alabama and Georgia Southern next Thursday. So check that out, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Georgia Southern, still the triple triple option offense? Uh, no, not a – not yeah, yeah, yeah. Still got that going on. So good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Mike, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy your picks this weekend and your donuts. Thanks, Courtney. Can we girl talk for a second? Yeah, we can girl talk. Girl I'm talk. your guy for girl talk. <laughs> just just put your vagina on and just my, I'm start I'm thinking I'm tucking about my it. dick between my legs. Okay, as we exactly. Speak. You just heard that interview with Mike Golick Jr. He's really like the nicest guy ever, and man, he can talk. But he's so right. The married friends thing hooking you up and, oh, my God, you know, you have to go on a date with this. It's like the pressure that they put on you to actually go on the date. They need to update on the date. What did you talk about? Do you like each other? Do this. Like, if you commit to that, oh, I'm going to be nice. Like he was saying, he was like, I'm just nice about it. I'll go on this date and, oh, yeah, later on not really my thing like i just don't do that shit much with everything else i think it's just one of those things that has to come organically it has to and i've been saying this but both men and women kind of suck i mean we're girl talk so guys suck oh guys suck yeah guys suck yeah i gotta tell you dating in covid is like something that's i'm over it super hard no i (laughs) listen my cousins just multiple just tried to get me back on back on the dating apps which i promptly delete a week later you can find courtney on uh on on your on your local dating no 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 not really but um where was i going with this i don't know oh covid dating yeah there's like two types of people and i get it this is a, a covid and how you take covid is like religion sometimes you can take it very seriously and most people don't yeah um COVID, i follow covid dating these days it's just weird it's like i don't know no i was not, i was I, I was telling you off air i mean you for me personally i had to find a girl that holds it down but isn't gonna be too emotionally attached that i'm an ambulatory vessel i you know what needs an ambulatory i vessel. don't i'm she's taking resume no. <laughs> i i just i can't get him i'm not i'm just not in the headspace to get emotionally attached to anyone i just don't Exactly. Am so you I, need a hard body. I feel like, yeah, now maybe I am in the best shape of dating. Like I just I going into situations, dinners, drinks, 
with all these random people that people try to hook me up with. I have no emotional desire to get into any serious relationship. Are you saying that? More than even a drink is, I, I've had three guys, like I've, I've left them on read, on red, read? Red, read, I red. left them on, on red, read, on both of the dating apps and texts because I, I just, this week is just overwhelming. I started a business in a pandemic. I have to manage you because, you know, I'm your babysitter. Yes. I have to manage like all the finances and us getting our sponsor set up and this. And, you know, I'm doing now I'm doing a lot of photo shoots and I have another business that I do some on the side with my production company. Some, some would say that you're risking it for the biscuit. <sighs> what does that mean? It means that you're taking a chance. Oh, of course. You're betting yeah. on yourself. All right. So uh, that was one thing. Second thing, girl talk. Let's do it. <laughs> I went to go. I need to get my eyebrows shaped like a new, like very threaded. So you, you either thread thing? or you wax. But no, it's big with this shaping. And some women, you know, the some women, their eyebrows are different shapes, but you can basically, you know, cut them to look different. I, like the Kardashian brows. Yeah, I have, you know, thick sure. eyebrows. I got recommended this woman who is does shaping. She has two locations and. She did one of the, um, she's a model now, but she used to be a cheerleader for the Patriots. Sure. And I looked at her page. I'm like, oh, she would know. I put in a request for brow shaping. <laughs> the woman emailed me back and she goes, I'm so sorry, Courtney. We're booked through 2020. Oh my God. I go, are you fucking serious? You're booked through 2020 to shape my eyebrows for 20 minutes? Are you going to have to do that? No, I'm just growing them out. And just gonna figure Latin out. Rage. Uh, well, I mean, I, I can t I can manage them, but I just thought that was hysterical. Well, I mean, girl talk. Yeah, girl that is kind of funny. It is. It's all the really, eyebrow threading uh, through twenty twenty. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I kind of like this. How might can actually, you, how can this, you put up with that? This might actually be a good segment. This might have legs. <laughs> this might have legs. Speaking legs, legs that go up to my tits. <laughs> speaking of legs. So you saw the post I posted on Instagram, right? Yes. Thirst trap. People that respond, reply on Twitter. You Listen, want it. You I put looked, it up there I for looked it. fucking smoking. I've been working on my body. When people ask me, are you eating enough? You look too skinny. That's when you know you look good. Hell yeah, dude. That's my friend Tamara said that is that ten, so true. When you lose that 10 pounds of camera weight, that's when you know. I mean, no, <laughs> legit. I'm telling you, like, I am... At a point where I'm, I'm so happy with it. I mean, I worked my fucking ass off for this. I work out. Hell you yeah. see me I, hours and hours on a day. Look girl, at your physique. Girl, what do you think I did for my physique? <laughs> so yeah, I'm at the point where I, you know, I'm doing, I, I shoot with this photographer. He's fantastic. And we did like a 90, we four looks. I was changing in an alley, like half naked, <laughs> titties out, changing these different looks and all that stuff. And these Babies. pants, these pants that are driving men wild. The leather ones? The biker, the oh, biker yeah. pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These pants, when I tell you I got 85 responses. Real deal sex appeal. I, I, I was like, okay, got to yeah. do a photo shoot with the pants. Yeah. So I posted this on, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I just, I know that I'm destroying and just wait, just wait for more. Um, people that reply to that photo... I posted one of them on Twitter and people that say thirst trap. I'm sorry. 
What do you want me to do? Are you, with my are you, are you complaining? Yeah, seriously. No, no, that's the one. Thing. Like, no, that's literally the- like I, everyone that writes thirst trap and like, it's like, I don't know, a bunch of them are like, Oh yeah, you're hot or whatever. Like does this, the like 18 year old kids that just write thirst trap. Like I'm, are you complaining? I don't think they are. Are you complaining? I think What's the point I think of saying I think they're typing, thirst trap? I think they're typing thirst trap in with one hand, Courtney. Oh. If, if, you're <laughs> oh pick, if, you're, if you're picking up what I'm putting <gasps> down. Oh, no. Yeah. I think That's we, okay. Well, I think we might. Girl you know talk, what's, you know what's funny? I, and also, too, I that article that was written about me. Thank you, Kevin Stone, for the Metro Daily Shout West. Out. It, was, it was an amazing piece. And. I I do mean this. I'm going to start highlighting women's. Maybe we'll call it like Femme, Femme Fatale Friday, Fallon Friday. I'm with it. You know, just highlighting the females that are great. I wanted to get um, Anita Marks on here just to talk. She's fantastic. Uh, I think that's long, a great idea. Yeah, she, she's really big with gambling picks, but I mean, she's just like the one power hitter female. She's in her mid to late 40s, and she just kills it still. Yeah. Still on SNY, still on Sirius. I mean, the women that that have longevity in their careers, yeah. um, the Tina Servasios of the world. I mean, Tina was the sideline reporter for the Red Sox, for then sure. went on and she bounced around. But she's, yeah, she's in her late 40s and still doing part-time jobs, gigs and all over. I mean, Anyways. I'm... I'm- I'm not. I I, know I didn't grow up as a little girl, but I <laughs> but can you act like one. I appreciate it. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I know that like just being around strong women growing up, my grandmother and my and my mom, like yeah. how much of a an impact that had on me and how I treated other women. Yeah. And it's it's just good to have strong women in spotlight, spotlighting strong women and and the good work that they do. You know, because it, it it empowers both. Boys, both little boys and little girls. Absolutely, I. So on that note, um, great show today. Yeah, gr- great show today. Thanks to our special guest, Mike Golick Jr. This is what I wanted to end the show on, as Will and his girl talk. And I'm sure that yeah. there are executives that are listening to this. They're like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> I asked Adam Schefter. I, he has this. He has his daughter's 12, 13 year old. She reminds me so much of myself. As a kid, as Adam Schefter tweets something and I get an alert on my Apple Watch. <laughs> Gotta have I, the Schefter. I know. So she, I mean, she was, when she was 11, they brought her down to Pro Bowl. And so she did a whole segment about interviewing the players. She got so much personality, explosive personality. Really reminds, that. that's how I was as a kid. Yeah. I just, I was nonstop, full of life, always asking questions, loud, rambunctious, all that stuff. So he asked him, I said, you know, putting an immediate request for Dylan Schefter to be on my podcast. And then I just am sitting here and I'm realizing, how the hell am I going to have a 13-year-old kid on my podcast promoting the podcast when we're talking about, <laughs> about like, literally nipples and white t-shirts and... I don't know. We didn't emerging, talk about that. Emerging. I mean, we were alluding to it, but we didn't say that specifically. <gasps> You're the one who said that. <gasps> Oh, we bruh, might have to bruh, rethink the bruh, business plan bruh, here. Bruh, bruh, and on bruh. that note, I hope you enjoyed the show. See you guys. See ya.